Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. But Matthew chapter 13, we'll begin reading in verse 44. And the word of the Lord declares, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. This is the word of the Lord. How many of you remember falling in love? Yes. (laughs) Lucky man you are. Um... And I'm not talking about puppy love. I am talking about that, you know, down deep, you know, to your core correlation, you know, realization that there is somebody out there that you cannot live without. Somebody that's so important to you that to be away from them, it feels like a part of you is missing. Somebody that, that, that you would do anything for. There isn't a place you wouldn't go. There isn't a price you wouldn't pay, a sacrifice you wouldn't make to, to be with them and to make them happy. And I think most of us kind of know what that's like or has experienced that to a degree. But maybe perhaps you know what it's like to have a passion, a God-given drive, a God-given purpose for your life. Something that you, that you do, something you strive for, something that you are all in for. Maybe, it, maybe it's school or maybe it's your, your job. Maybe it's a business or your hobbies. Maybe it's your role as a parent or a, you know, a mentor or a coach. Maybe it's your ministry, but it must be something that you're passionate about, something that you're willing to do, whatever it takes to see it through, whatever it takes to achieve the goal or reach the vision. I guess what I'm getting at is I think that we all, in our own way, know what it means to be all in for something. We know what it means to sell out for something or someone else. The idea, the expression to sell out for something always reminds me of, of sports, right? The, the, the sports player who is, who is you know, so committed that, that they're willing to give everything they have and leave all that they have on the field every, every time. Like the outfielder who, who is chasing down the deep fly ball that knows there's a wall out there somewhere but will continue to go right, and risk their body to make a play. Or the, the softball player we saw this year who, you know, playing third base, dove on her face to grab a bunt that just barely got off the ground to, to, to turn it into a fly ball and then throw the ball down to, to first base to, to throw the girl out, right? She was sold out to make the play. She was all in. Or maybe the boxer who, who endures just unimaginable punishment but will not stop and relent. Or maybe, you know, the, the, the basketball player who just by the sheer force of their will ends up picking up their team and putting them on their back and, and, and carries their team to victory. Or if you're old enough to remember, maybe you watched the movie about the 1980 U.S. Olympic hockey team. You know, a group of young men who caught a vision and were all in for the idea that they could beat the best team in the entire world. And it's not just sports. It's also soldiers and and police officers and firefighters, people who are committed everything they have to save lives and to do their jobs. And and, and also it could be teachers, people who do everything they can to reach to the children that they're they're in charge of. Or maybe parents or or spouses or even best friends, people who are sold out for their families, people who are sold out for their friends, people who are sold out for their communities. My point that I'm trying to make is that we all kind of know what it's like. We know what it looks like to be all in. We know what it looks like to be sold out. We know what it looks like to be so completely committed to something that it becomes a part of who we are. We've all sold out for something in our lives, I believe. But my question is, what about faith? What, what about your walk with Christ? Are we all in? Are we completely sold out for Jesus? Because that's precisely what Christ calls us to. A radical commitment to him. And that's what we see in the text here. Jesus is calling us to be all in, to sell out for him. 
In fact, let's look at the, the text again and, and see what I'm talking about. And, and so turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. But before we dive in here and get into the weeds, let me, let me set this up for you. You see, Matthew wrote this gospel for a specific reason. He wanted to make it really, really clear to the world that Jesus is the sovereign reigning king. That he is the Messiah. That he is the king that the world has been waiting for. And so an important part of understanding the gospel of Matthew is to always remember that Matthew is trying to help us to see that Jesus is the king. And it's about Jesus and his kingdom. In fact, Matthew begins his gospel by reciting the genealogy of Jesus Christ. He, and he does so to prove that Jesus is a descendant of King David. That he's a descendant of the royal line of David, which means he's a legitimate heir to the throne. He is royalty. And after that, Matthew talks about his birth. Right? And after Christ was born, he tells us of the wise men who came to see him, who asked, where is he who was born king of the Jews? Because they knew that a king had been born. They knew that's what he was born for. And, when, and then when Jesus grows up, he becomes an adult, he begins his earthly ministry. Matthew tells us that one of the, the first thing that Jesus said as he begins his ministry is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus' first proclamation is to declare that the kingdom of heaven is near. And then when Jesus gets arrested, when he gets arrested and goes before Pontius Pilate, he asks Jesus, right, are you the king of the Jews? And, he, and Jesus said, you have said so. He confirms, he confirms that Jesus is king. Right? That he, is, he is the king, but, but his kingdom is not of this world, Jesus says. And then at the end of the gospel, Jesus is nailed to the cross. And what do they do? They nail a sign above his head. What does it say? Jesus, the king of the Jews, which seemed to indicate that his reign was over and his kingdom really came to nothing. But then Matthew records Jesus' um, resurrection, the details of his resurrection that proves that Jesus is exactly what he came to be, which is our God and our king. And so it's very important to understand that Matthew focuses on telling us you know, that Jesus came to be the, the, the king, the Messiah. And when he was on earth, Jesus spent a lot of time teaching and explaining all about his kingdom and what it would be like. And so, in fact, the book of Matthew is really broken up into five uh, major teaching sections. Five sections where Jesus explains through stories, through, through illustrations, through parables... What it means to be able to, to, what it means to enter the kingdom of heaven and what life is to be like for those who are saved, those who are the citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And the very first teaching in Matthew is, is Matthew chapter 5 through 7, which is known as the Sermon on the Mount. I think most of us at least have heard of that title. Most of us are familiar with the blessed are those statements, right? The Sermon on the Mount. And in this section, Jesus explains to his followers that those who live in the kingdom actually live radically different lives than the rest of the world. Those who belong to Christ live differently because they are made differently, live in a different kingdom altogether. And then the second teaching is found in Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 through 42. This is a section where Jesus prepares his his disciples and he commissions them to go out and to share the gospel around them. Right? And in this section, he talks about the hallmarks of what it means to be a disciple of, of, his, of his kingdom. And then the fourth section is uh, chapter 18, verses 1 through 35. And Jesus talks about various subjects like having childlike faith and also the importance of forgiving other people. And then the fifth major section is known as the Olivet Discourse found in Matthew 24 through 25, which he preaches near the end of his ministry. Now, the section that we're in today is the third teaching section, and it's, and it's a section located in uh, Matthew 13, and it's particularly known as kingdom parables. This is a section where Jesus is explaining to his disciples what the kingdom of heaven is like through little stories called parables, which should cause us to ask, what's a parable, right? Well, a parable is a little story or an illustration that utilizes pictures and verbal images such as metaphors and similes to make a point that reveals a particular truth, right? It's a way of explaining in real concrete images a spiritual reality. For example, Jesus tells the parable of the lost sheep. And and when he does, he he describes a shepherd who who goes high and low looking for this 
single one lost sheep. And when the sheep is found and it's brought back, there is a joyful celebration. And Jesus says that this is a picture of God's will. This lost sheep, he says, you know, should, this lost sheep should be searched for. The idea that God is telling us that we should go and seek and save the lost. It's a picture of salvation of the lost. Salvation of, of, of a lost person is something that we should work for and to celebrate. That's what a parable is. It's a real world picture, an image of a spiritual reality. And that's what our text is. It's a parable located, again, in the, the uh, section known as the kingdom parables. Or they're the little stories about the kingdom of God, which means that these are stories or illustrations that we can look to to know a little bit more about the spiritual reality of God's kingdom. So let's look at the text again, and we'll read it all, all together, and then we'll take it apart. Beginning verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who in finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now, the first thing I want you to notice here, and I want you to to pay close attention to, is this is not one parable. This is two. There are two parables. In fact, most of your Bibles actually separate them with a little heading. right? But there are two, two separate illustrations, but they essentially make the same point. And when you see something like that in the Bible, when you see an idea repeated or, or verses that repeat themselves or stories that repeat themselves, it should cause you to slow down and then begin to ask the question, why is that? Why did Jesus use two different parables to make the same point? Point. And the answer to that question is Jesus oftentimes used parallel words and parallel ideas and parallel stories to make a deeper point. Because it's a very Jewish thing to do. In Jewish culture, a prominent way to communicate truth, to really get clear about truth, was to use what was called parallelism. So it says, so it's saying the same thing over and again, but slightly differently, so that way you can really focus on the major point. For example, Jesus does this very same thing. And the parable is known as the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost sheep, and the prodigal son. There are three different parables, all of them, that really point to the same spiritual reality, which is when the lost are found, there is great rejoicing in the kingdom of heaven. Right? That it's God's desire for the lost to be sought for and found. That's the truth that these parables communicate. And these three parables all emphasize the same point. And it's the same here. Jesus tells us two similar parables and he emphasizes his point, which then should lead to the question, what's the point? Well, I think that we can agree that we pretty much have a a feeling about what the point is to this text. But let's not assume too much and let's actually look and see what Jesus is saying here. And the first thing I want you to notice is this expression, kingdom of heaven. Uh, Okay, You see, Matthew records Jesus over and over and over again, beginning a parable with this expression, the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like. But Matthew also records Jesus throughout the entire gospel over and over and over again, talking about the kingdom of heaven. Just as Jesus began his preaching ministry stating, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In chapter 10, he tells his disciples, you know, To proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. On the Sermon on the Mount, a couple of times, Jesus says things like, Blessed are you who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus uses this expression over and over and over again. So the kingdom of heaven is an important theme in Matthew, but also in these parables. But but what is it? What, What is this kingdom that Jesus speaks of? Is it a, a place? Is it an identity? Is it, you know, just an idea? Is it some strange, weird, theological, nebulous concept? What is the kingdom of heaven? And that's a really big question. And we could probably do a whole sermon series on that. But there's four ideas I want, I want to connect with you about the kingdom of heaven. And the first thing that we need to understand is the kingdom of heaven is the same thing that Jesus refers to when he says the kingdom of God. Right? 
They're the same thing, right? This is important for us to understand because sometimes people get tripped up in the language here. When you hear the expression kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God, or when Jesus says my kingdom, he's talking about the same idea. They're not separate kingdoms. They're not different layers of heaven. They're all the same idea. It's God's kingdom, Christ's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. They're all the same idea. Secondly, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is the rule and reign of Christ in the world around us. It's the rule of reign in his reign in the lives of his followers. It's an active rule. It's an active reign. It's a very real phenomenon in the world. That's why Christ says the kingdom of heaven is at hand because it is right here. It is here now. The kingdom of heaven is near and Christ reigns over his kingdom. So those who follow him and who believe in him are in his kingdom. And those who don't are not in the kingdom. Jesus says in John chapter 3 verse 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven unless he is transformed, unless he puts his faith in Christ. He is not going to be in the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is here in the world now. And Christ's followers are subject to his authority in that kingdom. Those who belong to Christ submit to his lordship and those who don't submit to his lordship aren't in the kingdom. In fact, Jesus gives us a very strong admonition here and a a strong warning. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. The kingdom of heaven is a real thing on earth. And those who belong to Christ are in the kingdom. And not only that. Those who are in Christ and that are in the kingdom, they work to expand the kingdom. They work to grow the kingdom. You see, when you witness to someone, you're expanding the kingdom. When you forgive someone, you're expanding the kingdom. When you live out your faith in obedience for the world to see, and they see your good works, and you live as an ambassador for Christ, you are expanding the real kingdom of God. And so when Jesus says kingdom of heaven, he's talking about a very real spiritual kingdom that exists right here, right now. And Christ reigns and rules over that kingdom. Now, the third thing we need to know about the kingdom is that the kingdom represents salvation itself. John MacArthur in his commentary on these two verses says exactly that. As noted before. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then later on, in the same conversation, Jesus says the words, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And what we need to know is there's a connection here. Those who believe and are saved, those are the ones that are born again who get to be in the kingdom. But the ones who don't believe, they're the ones that perish and they don't enter the kingdom. As Jesus says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So those who believe are saved and enter the kingdom, and those who don't believe are condemned and don't get to enter the kingdom of heaven. So the kingdom of heaven is a very real picture of salvation, but it's also a picture of Christ himself because he's the king. He is the kingdom. He's the one that we live for. Christ is the ki- and his kingdom are inseparable. When you're saved, the Bible tells us when you're saved, you enter the kingdom and you also enter into Christ. And more than that, Christ enters into you. Romans 8.1 offers believers, I think, the greatest assurance you can possibly have. In fact, if there's a verse that you should memorize as a believer in Christ to hold on to, it's Romans 8.1. It says... There is therefore no condemnation for those who are, notice this, in Christ Jesus. Who are in positionally in Christ Jesus. Understand what this says. For those who are in Christ, those who are in the kingdom, those are the ones who are saved. There is no condemnation for them. They don't walk in condemnation. They don't walk in guilt. To be in the kingdom is to be in Christ and vice versa. Look what else what Paul says in Romans 8. But if Christ is in you, 
Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. When you're saved, you enter Christ and Christ enters you. And I hear people sometimes wonder how that works. And I saw a pastor do an illustration of this, right? This big old clear bucket of water and he had a cup and he, and he puts the, the cup in the water and it kind of floats there. He says, see, see the, the cup's in the water, right? And he puts a little water inside the cup. It says, and then the water's in the cup. And then he just dunks it all the way in. That's what it means to be in Christ and in the water, right? That's the connection to be in the kingdom. So the kingdom of heaven is the same thing as the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of Christ. It is salvation itself, and the kingdom of heaven is Christ himself. Now, the, thing that, the next thing I want you to notice is this really kind of odd expression, is like. I know it doesn't seem odd, but really in the Greek, it's kind of odd. The kingdom of heaven is like. This expression is rooted in the word homoios, which means to be like or to be similar to or to resemble something. The kingdom of heaven is like something. The kingdom of God is similar to something. The kingdom of heaven resembles something else. And Jesus is trying to, 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 to use this expression to communicate a spiritual reality by connecting it to a physical analogy we can understand. He says the kingdom of heaven, a reality you cannot see, resembles something physical in the world that you absolutely can see. Well, what does he say the kingdom of heaven resembles? Well, in short... He, he says that it resembles something of great value, something of incredible worth. In the first parable, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven resembles a hidden treasure, a buried treasure. Now, this might seem weird to us in our modern time, right? But remember, they lived at a time where there were no banks and there was not any Daryl's mini storage. And there wasn't like, you know, security cameras or uh, alarm systems. If you had something valuable, you really needed to find a way to protect it. And the way most people did is they went and they found a field and they buried their stuff. Right? So it wasn't common for people to stumble across this. So this was a common analogy. Right? The kingdom of heaven is like a hidden treasure, he says. And then the second example, right? the second parable, Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven resembles a pearl of great value. He said that there was a merchant that was going out and he was searching high and low for, for these fine pearls and he found one of great value. And, and I, now this is the one I think we really can relate to because I think we understand the value of, of jewels and gems and jewelry, or at least I know you wives do, right? That's why there's advertisements like Jared and stuff like that. Right? I know my wife, she understands the value of jewelry, Right? She notices beautiful jewelry. She appreciates the beauty and the value of jewelry. And she knows the difference between the cheap jewelry and the valuable jewelry. Right? And, and Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like that. It's, it's, it's an object of great value. So in short, the kingdom of heaven is equated with something of extremely high value. And that really, that, that shouldn't surprise us. Right? Because the kingdom of, of God is valuable. I mean, God's reign in our lives is, is, is valuable to us. Salvation absolutely is valuable. Jesus is valuable. So we're not surprised that the kingdom of heaven is described in these terms. And, and, and here's the thing. If that was the end of the parables, we would certainly understand very clearly the kingdom of heaven has great value to us. That there's, there's something that we should, we should treasure, whether we found it by accident like the first guy, or whether we were looking for it like the second man. We would understand that the kingdom of heaven and our relationship to Christ is, is really important, has great value. But, but I want you to lean here and really, I want you to really hear me on this. If that is all that we see in these parables, we're missing something. Because there's, there are lots of things in our lives that are treasures to us. There are lots of things that are important to us. There are lots of things in our lives that have great value to us. My wife's love for me is of great value to me. My children, all of my children are a treasure to me. My, my, my job as a pastor and, and as a preacher brings me great joy. My, my freedom as a citizen of this great country has great value to me. We all have things that we value extremely highly. Many people value friendship. I know I do. 
Many people value being able to provide for themselves. Many people value their education. Other people value uh, and treasure technology and the opportunities that it affords. A lot of people value being outdoors and, and being in nature. Some of you really value quiet time and just peace. We all have many things in our lives that we value. We have many things in our lives that we treasure. But, but this is not where Jesus leaves the parable. He doesn't stop there. Salvation is not simply something that we value like all the other things in our lives that we value. The kingdom of heaven is not simply some treasure that we collect like with, along with all of our other, other treasures. Jesus doesn't say the kingdom of heaven is just a valuable object. In fact, the real point of these parables isn't the valuable object itself. The real point of these parables is the reaction of the men when they encountered those valuable objects. In fact, let's look at the, look at the text again. The kingdom of heaven is like a hidden a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes, and notice this, and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. You see, the point of of these parables is not the treasure itself, but our reaction to the treasure. That's the point. You see, these men, upon finding the treasure, were willing to sell everything they had to obtain the treasure. They sold all their possessions to get it. This was not just a treasure, right? This was their greatest treasure. This was their greatest desire. It was their greatest love. It was their greatest value. These two parables point to the fact that these men found something that they valued above all other things. See, Jesus is saying that is what the kingdom is like. It's not just some treasure. It should be our greatest treasure, which is the point of these parables. The kingdom of heaven and all that that represents is to be our greatest treasure. The kingdom of God is to be your most prized possession. The reign and rule of Christ, your salvation, Jesus himself should be your most desired treasure. The kingdom of heaven is to be treasured above all other things. Which means God should be your greatest joy. Of all the things that bring joy to your life, God should be the one that brings you the most joy. Whatever joy you might find in your spouse will pale in comparison to the joy you find in God. Whatever joy you find in your children and your grandchildren should be but a reflection of the overwhelming joy that you have in God. God is to be your greatest joy. And Christ should be then your supreme affection. Christ should be the object of your greatest affection and love. Your love for Christ should be above all. All other things. I love my wife, but she knows my first love is Jesus. And I know hers is too. Whether you love, whatever you love, and whoever you feel love for, that should be a faint image of the love that you have for Christ. Hear me. You're to love Christ above all other things. John Piper actually asked a very provocative question. He says, Would you be happy in heaven? If, you, if heaven had everything that you ever loved and it had everyone you ever loved and it was filled with all the wonderful activities that you've ever loved and heaven was more beautiful than you could possibly imagine and you could spend eternity there where there's no pain at all and you could spend the rest of your life just in the presence of all the people you have loved deeply. And if heaven had all of those things, all of that, could you be happy in heaven if it didn't have Christ? That's a thought-provoking question. And the the answer is, you know, if you say yes to that, then you really don't know Christ. Because to know Christ and what he's done for you and what he sacrificed for you is to love him. And not just love him, but love him supremely. Because I don't care what anybody's done for you. No one's done for you what Christ has done for you. 
No one has given to you what Christ has given to you. No one has sacrificed for you the way Christ has sacrificed for you. In fact, without Christ, we have nothing. Yes, you might have this momentary little life and whatever happiness that you might experience here and now. But beyond that, there's nothing. It's emptiness for eternity without Christ. That's why we sing this morning, hallelujah, all I have is Christ. Hallelujah, Jesus is my life. He is your supreme love because he is life. He came to give you life and life abundant. He is giving you a hope that you cannot get anywhere else from anyone else. Jesus is your life. Jesus should be the supreme affection of your life because he has solved your greatest problem and and satisfied your greatest need your sin problem and your need for forgiveness jesus has done for you what no one else on earth could do for you so god should be your greatest joy and jesus your greatest affection and salvation should be your greatest possession your salvation should be something that you prize above all other things because everything else that you have i want you to hear me on this Everything else you have will be taken from you someday. As Job reminds us, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Or to quote some Okies I know, you can't take it with you. You came into this world with nothing And you will leave this world with nothing except for your salvation. And Jesus says, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world, all the riches of the world, and yet forfeit his soul? Understand, right? You were not only born with nothing, but you were born in debt. You were born with a sinful heart. You were born into this world a sinner. You were by your very nature, from the moment you took your first breath, a child of wrath. Which means, when you leave this world, you're going to leave it all behind. All your stuff, all your family, all your friends, all your technology. And one day you will stand before a holy and righteous God whose wrath abides upon you. And unless you have salvation through Christ, unless you possess justification, the, the justification of God given to you through Jesus Christ, your salva- with, with, without salvation... You're lost, but with salvation, it's everlasting joy. Without salvation, you enter into darkness and suffering forever. With salvation, to joy everlasting. God is your greatest joy. Jesus, your greatest affection and salvation should be your greatest possession. And all of this should be your greatest hope here and now. Because when things fall apart as they always do. And when all seems lost, and when you encounter that next dark phase of your life, because there's really only a couple of phases in life. Either you're in a dark phase, you've coming out of a dark phase, or you're getting ready to head into a dark phase, right? We all experience those times. When we experience those times, no matter what happens in your life, right? You will be able to still stand and rejoice. Because the kingdom of heaven is your greatest treasure. It's the hope that will carry you through. It's the hope that will give you strength. As the apostle Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 3. I love these words. He says, whatever gain I had, I counted it, counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. The surpassing worth of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is very clearly telling all of us in these parables that the kingdom of heaven and our relationship to Christ and our salvation are to be our greatest treasure, our greatest desire, our greatest love. Now, what does that mean for us then? I mean, what does that look like in our our lives? What does it look like for the kingdom of heaven to be our greatest treasure? Well, it means we need to be like these men and do what they did, which is to sell out. They sold out to have the treasures 
They sold everything they owned to take possession of their treasure. We need to be willing to be like them and sell out for our treasure. We need to be willing to do whatever it takes to have possession of that treasure, which means we need to sell out for salvation. Paul tells us to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, to examine yourselves to see whether or not you were in the faith. We need to answer the question, what does it mean to be saved? And Paul gives us the answer and says, confess with your mouth. If you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. With the mouth one confesses and is saved. We sell out for salvation by believing Jesus we believe him, what he said. We, we, we believe that he is what he claimed to be, God in the flesh. And we believe that he, he did what he will promise to do, which is to save us from our sins. He died for our sins and rose from the grave, proving all of that. We believe the gospel narrative. We are unashamed and believe the words of the Bible. We put our trust in Christ alone for our salvation. We believe what the Bible tells us about Jesus. And then we confess That Jesus is Lord. We declare with our lips that Jesus is not only the sacrificial lamb. That he is not just some person who died in our place. We confess that he is Lord Yahweh. He is God in the flesh. Which means he is the king. And he is the ruler of our lives. That's what it means to sell it for salvation. We believe with all our heart. The gospel of Jesus Christ. And we declare unashamedly that he's the Lord of our life, which means we need to sell out for Jesus. Jesus says these words. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You see, coming into relationship with Christ It's about following him. It's about being in a relationship with Christ. is isn't just about, hey, you know what? Jesus is my friend and he does his thing and I do my thing, right? Being in a relationship with Jesus is about submitting to his lordship. It means following him wherever he might lead you. That's why the vision statement of First Baptist Church here is we're a loving community of Christ followers passionately in pursuit of Christ. And we're deeply connected to each other and completely committed to sharing the hope of Christ with our community in our world. That's why when you see the logo, our First Baptist Church logo, you will see First Baptist Church of Boron, and underneath there it says, it says, passion, connection, hope. See, passion is, it represents the passionate pursuit of Christ. We will follow Jesus with all of our heart. We are sold out to follow him wherever he leads. We are willing to take up our cross and deny ourselves and sell out to follow him. Which means we will obey him. We listen to his commands. We do the things that he calls us to do. Like loving God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. Loving our neighbor as ourselves, And also doing the hard stuff like loving your enemies. And forgiving those who have transgressed against you. And we do things like standing up for the poor. And, and, and taking up the cause of the outcast. We sell out for Jesus By being on mission to expand the the kingdom of God. Which means we also sell out for the kingdom of God itself. Because we're not just citizens of this kingdom. We are ambassadors of Christ on earth. Notice what Paul says in, in, in 2 Corinthians 5. God through Christ reconciled us to himself. I want you to understand what reconciled means. Okay. We were enemies of God, and when he forgave us, we didn't just simply become, okay, I still don't like you, but, but you're forgiven, so stand over there. Reconciled means not only were we ex-enemies, we're now in a deep personal relationship like family. So he says, he says, through Christ, Christ reconciled, God through Christ reconciled us to himself, and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that is, in Christ God has it was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And then entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. That we might become the righteousness of God. 
You see, we, by his sacrifice, have been reconciled to God. And as such, we all have been given the ministry of reconciliation. We have been entrusted with the message of reconciliation. God has given us all work to do. And we're to go out and make disciples of all the nations. We're to sell up for the kingdom by being a living witness for others to see. That we share the hope of Christ with other people. That we spread the gospel wherever we go. We are sold out for Christ and his kingdom because he is our greatest treasure. Now you might say, Sherman, you know, you took like three verses and you made all that, right? That's a lot to ask. I mean, I love Jesus. Don't get me wrong. And I'm willing to give up a few things for him. And I'm willing to worship him. I'm willing to say his name out loud. I'm willing to read my Bible. I'm willing to pray. I'm willing to, to go to church. I might even be willing to put a few bucks in the plates. And, I'm, and I might even be willing to like get mad, you know, and, and defend Christians when culture attacks. But selling out, come on, who does that? I mean, that's a lot to ask. Does, really, does Jesus really call us to sell out for him? Absolutely. Matthew chapter 19, there's a story that gives us a really clear picture of this. We've covered this story before, but I think we should look at it again. It's real short. Chapter 19, beginning verse 16. And behold, a man came to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbors yourself. And the young man said, all these I have kept, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When the young man heard This he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. There are a lot of people who want to come to Christ, but are unwilling to make him their greatest treasure. They want Jesus, but they also want their sin. They want Jesus, but they also want their idols. And the truth is, if if there's anything that you love more than you love Jesus, if there's anything that you love more than you love Jesus, that is is an idol. Anything that you treasure more than Christ is an idol in your life, whether it's other people, whether it's your stuff, whether it's, it's, it's your sin, whether it's your own identity. Many people today in our culture refuse to relinquish their identity to have Christ. Anything you have that you love more than Christ is an idol in your life. And idols get in the way. Of the relationship you have with Jesus. So selling out for Christ and his kingdom is really a way of smashing those idols. Making the kingdom of heaven your greatest treasure is a way to smash the idols in your life. Selling out for Jesus and making him the supreme affection of your life is not only a way to smash idols. But ultimately selling out for Jesus will bring you the greatest joy. And most importantly... It brings God the greatest amount of glory. So yeah, Jesus wants you to sell out for him. But let me just share one last thing with you. And I think this is probably one of the most important points to make about selling out for Christ. The reason why you should sell out for Christ is because he sold out for you. The reason why you should sell out for Jesus is he sold out for you. The God of the universe condescended And came down to the earth and got on your level and walked in your shoes. Paul tells us, Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. I want you to understand what this means. Jesus gave up everything for you, a sinner. He gave up his glory. He gave up his comfort. 
He gave up his right to defend himself. He gave up his body, his blood, and his very life for you. He gave all that he had to set you free. He gave all that he had to ransom you. Like you are his treasure. Let that sink in for just a minute because think about who you are. Think about where you've been. Think about what you've done. Think about the people you've hurt in your life. Think about the pain that you've inflicted in the lives of other people. Think about those deep, dark, ugly thoughts and feelings you're capable of. You will not let anybody know about because you don't want people to really find out who you really are. The real you. Not somebody you showed everyone else. The real you. Jesus sold all the way out for you. He was all in to save you. To rescue you. To move you from death to life. To give you joy everlasting. So that you can be called a child of God. To give you a hope that never, ever, ever, ever fades. Jesus sold out for you. That should make your heart rejoice. That should make your heart long to see him and to be with him. That should make your spirit cry out, Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Whatever it is, Lord. Yes. You should sell out for Christ because he sold out for you. Now, as we, I want to wrap up this morning by, by telling you something. And, I, and I, I think it's really important. Because some of you might think, that what I'm telling you is that you need to sell up for Jesus in every possible way right now in this moment. And I want you to understand that's not what I'm saying. And the reason why I'm not saying this is because, number one, it's not even possible. Right? You're not going to be perfect right now. You're not going to get it all right in this moment right now. It just is not going to happen. And number two, the real point I need you to understand is selling out is not a one-time event in the life of a Christian Selling out is an ongoing process. It's something that we're going to do for the rest of our lives. It's something we're going to work towards and progress towards. As the days go on, we're going to grow more and more in love with Christ. As, as, as you progress, we're going to progressively give up the things in our lives that, that don't honor him. We're going to begin to learn to, to let go of those things that get in the way. We'll learn more and more how to follow Jesus. We will slowly learn more and more how to be confident to share the gospel. You see, the focus is not perfection. It never has been. The focus is on imperfect progress. And so the question is, are you moving forward? That's all we're asking. That's are we moving forward. So one of the things that, that Johnny, when he decided to take over as the worship team and he, and he made a requirement. If you're going to, if you're going to want to be a part of the worship team, what you need to do is we need to see that you're moving forward in your walk with God, that, that there is a progress. We're all sinners, right? We're all broken, but we're all on our own journey. Are you going backwards? Or are you moving forward? That's what we're looking for. So the question is, are you moving forward? Are you progressively moving, you know, towards spiritual maturity, which means are you growing in your time in the word? Are you growing in your time in prayer? Are you growing in your service to God and your brothers and sisters? Are you growing in love with other people where you didn't love them before? And, and more and more, day by day, progressively selling out for Christ. Have you made selling out for Christ the goal with which you strive? And you strive for that through grace-driven effort and the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit to strengthen you toward that goal. So I'm not asking you today to commit to perfectly selling out today. I'm asking you to commit to the process, the ongoing process of selling out for Christ. To commit to pursuing Christ and following where he leads with a passion all the rest of your life. That ultimately will lead you to make Christ and his kingdom your greatest treasure. And in this process, you'll experience hope and joy and love greater than you can possibly ever, ever imagine. And so my, my call again is will you sell out for Christ?
Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, help me to sell out that way. Help me to continually make you the supreme desire of my life. I have a fickle heart, Lord. There are lots of things that that can draw my attention. I have a short attention span, and I get distracted really easy. Lord, help me to stay focused on you. Help me to remember the greatness of your beauty. Help me to stay focused on my love for you. Make my love for you supreme. And out of that abundant love, then my love for others can flow. But help me, Lord God, to keep my eyes on you and help me to grow more and more towards that. I know who I am. I know what I'm capable of. I know how at times I can be very short with with people. I know how I can value my own things and things I want to do versus the things you're calling me to do. Father, help me, help me, Lord, to sell out all the way in every aspect of my life as a dad, as a husband, as a friend, as a pastor, as a community member, in every possible way I can sell out for you, help me to do that, Lord. And I pray that for our church, that all of us, Lord God, would we just humbly accept the fact that we're not perfect, but we will strive, Lord God, ever more towards the goal of being sold out for you, that you are the greatest prize that we could possibly have in our lives, and that we pursue you with a passion with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and that you would raise up a people in this church, Lord God, who are not ashamed to go out into the community And share the hope of Christ with our community. We pray, Father, for revival in this town. And we pray, Lord God, for um, for revival through BBS as well. We thank you for your grace and mercy. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. And please consider partnering with us financially as we share the hope and the healing of Jesus Christ with our community and with the world.